Totally Football Show. Today, four guys, one cup. It's our FA special. Bees, Lions and Shrews in our fourth round previews. Plus, who's going to win in Arsenal Man United, the Gunners or the Gunner? Plus, all the news from Spain to PSG, Frankie says, Neymar and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, listener, here today with us in the pod, we have James Horncastle. Hello, James. Good morning to you, James. Good morning to you, Daniel Story. Good morning to you. And good morning to Tom Williams. Good morning, James. Tom, you're just back from Nantes. Yes. Where by now all hope is gone of finding Emiliano Sala and, and uh, his pilot on Monday, David Ibbotson. Sadly, yes. Um, I was there for a day or so and the Nantes fans were, were clinging to hope as best they could. But obviously, you know, right from the start, a very difficult situation. And the longer time has gone on, the, the more, you know, the more improbable the chances of finding the pair of them have become. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I suspect that the sort of current feeling in Nantes at the moment is they're just kind of waiting for, for confirmation of, of what's happened rather than clinging to that hope. Yeah. It seemed like the whole town uh, was was really affected by this from, from the pictures we were seeing, Tom. Yeah, there was a vigil on uh, Place Royale in the middle of Nantes on Tuesday evening, um, and I think there were about 1,000, 1,500 fans there. People were laying down yellow flowers in the club's colours and lighting candles and, um, you know, chanting Salah's name. And there was an awful lot of emotion. I mean, there were people I spoke to who'd break down in tears talking about what had happened. And, and at that point, we were that the news was still very fresh, uh, and so people didn't really know whether there was still any hope left to cling to and you could hear that in what people said they were sort of you know didn't know whether to talk about him in the past tense or the present tense and I think even now days later we're still grappling with that I spoke to one bloke who'd been to a, a florist around the corner to buy a yellow flower and they'd all they'd all sold out all the florists in the city um, and uh, people have continued to drop by I was there yesterday morning and there were still people turning up putting down flowers and, and you know saying a little prayer um, so yeah very very solemn very very difficult situation yeah the, the, the terrible news with this chilling aspect of the the story of the message that he recorded before takeoff where he says I'm on a plane that looks like it's going to fall apart when you look at the plane it does seem I mean to me it seems surprising that a player flying to his new club from Nantes on the Atlantic coast to Cardiff would, would be on that kind of aircraft I mean, the thought of rattling around in a tiny plane like that does seem um, unusual, but footballers take flights like this all the time. It's the only way to get around often. It's the quickest way to get from A to B, particularly when you're you're in a transfer window and players need to be moved around quickly. That wasn't the case here, but nonetheless, this is the sort of flight that I'm sure Salah would have taken countless times before. And, you know, tragically, on this occasion, something went catastrophically wrong. Well, as of this Thursday morning, the search for Salah and Ibbotson has just got back underway in the uh, channel uh, but uh, a, a terrible business, that. Well, after this, we'll get on to this weekend's action in the Cup. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. No Premier League this weekend. Instead, the stage is set for the FA Cup fourth round. I'm going to say there's some interesting fixtures here because there's plenty of potential upsets and also meeting Friday to kick things off between the two most successful FA Cup sides around. Man United have won it 12 times and Arsenal who've done the 13. And they meet at the Emirates, both in good form. James Horncastle, can Arsenal be the first team to stop Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United? I think it's a very uh, evenly matched game because I think both of these sides still have similar flaws. I mean, if you look at where they are in the Premier League table, they're the two sides in the top six that have conceded the most goals. I think Solskjaer has helped sort of shore things up a little bit um, for United but Arsenal definitely on the up after that uh, after that win against Chelsea United if you look at if, if even if uh, Solskjaer rotates his his front three for this game you're reminded of just the kind of attacking depth that United have available to them be it Sanchez Lukaku Mata which Sanchez that's yeah. going to be exciting isn't it <laughs> yeah if I expect, and I expect he will play it should be fairly tasty to see him see him back at the Emirates but um yeah, I think I'm glad this is the Friday night game because yeah, you know, I, I just think it, it really sets the uh, 
sort of whets the appetite for the weekend. Really. Although it's obviously wrong, Tom, for it to be played on a Friday night being an FA Cup game. It, it does feel wrong from a sort of traditionalist perspective, but I agree with James. I think it's a great start to the weekend. I mean, you'll get more TV viewers, I, I think, as a consequence than if it was, say, the Saturday lunchtime game or something. Um, and yeah, you know, we've, we've got a really good blend of fixtures, you know, some potential upsets, some giant killing opportunities, uh, but it, it feels fitting that this should be the, you know, the, the game that kicks things off. All right. Arsenal without uh, Hector Bellerin, of course. Who's going to come in there? Licksteiner, Maitland-Niles, or Carl Jenkinson? Options are we, plenty we for Unai Emery. At, at this stage. Would have thought Licksteiner, no? Right. I wonder if the paintball had any kind of thing to do with Tell Unai Emery choosing. Well, uh, Emery had wanted, I think, to do this all season, finally got a bit of time, and uh, 50 Arsenal staff, which includes his coaches and players, essentially decided to recreate that. Was it the final episode of Biker Grove? Where, uh, where, yeah, PJ and Duncan, you saw PJ, was it PJ? PJ, he, and then he looks around, yeah. shot right in the face. That must have been emotional for, for Aubameyang, who's a big biker crew <laughs> uh, fan, huh? Yeah, From I imagine so. Day. Yeah, um, well, I never saw Biker Grove ever. No, no I think you you were probably in Italy at the time, James. So, what was the big paintballing episode at the end? Well, um, Ant and Deck uh, were play, played PJ and Duncan before going on and having their sort of music career of Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Yeah, um, and they they had a uh, they went and played paintball in some I don't know castle in uh, in in the northeast. Uh-huh. Um, at which point. Um, PJ lifts his goggles for one moment oh, and no. someone shoots and he's blinded. I've seen that clip. <laughs> that I've seen. Yeah, it stays with you. I mean, yeah. you're traumatised. I mean, it was a big deal at the time if you were of the age where you watched Biker Grove. It was the sort of thing that you kind of got wind of before it happened. Like, oh, you better watch Biker Grove tonight. <laughs> Something's going down. Right. And, and indeed... So it, so it, so it, it came to pass. PJ. Mm. PJ. Um, and did his eyesight ever recover? I don't think so. He wasn't in the show for much longer because right. of the Ant and Deck phenomenon. Did they initially record as PJ and Duncan? Yeah, they did. Yes. So that that took off <laughs> shortly after. I mean, he didn't have to pretend he was still blind when he was on stage, did he? No. no. They, didn't, they didn't sort of stay in character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but if they were PJ and Duncan, surely in the interest of continuity, he should have been... You know, little white stick and all that. Anyway, so no, I I think he did remain blind, the character at least, uh, but they weren't on the show for much longer afterwards. Okay. What about this game then? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think think it's an excellent game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because the pressure's kind of off now, post-Tottenham win and post-fairly fortunate Tottenham win. Uh, That was the big test. The FA Cup is Manchester United's clear third priority. There's no doubt about that. And there is a sense of this kind of growing... Roberto Di Matteo thing going on surrounding him that he feels uh, kind of blessed in the role he's in and he's brought back this kind of feel good factor and uh, yeah he will he will he will make changes Alexis Sanchez will play Romelu Lukaku will play uh, it will be very interesting to presumably see Sanchez versus Özil both of them enjoying or enduring um, a startling force from grace since since leaving our you know since they, they were together at Arsenal. Mm. And yeah, I think Solskjaer will kind of roll the dice with it and tell his team to just go out and do what they're doing, playing mm. playing the game. And Arsenal will feel it more than Manchester United will. In what way? Well, in the the win against Chelsea was you know a huge shot in the arm, if you'll pardon the pun, for Emery. But right. there's a feeling around Arsenal pun at the moment because of the paint. Yeah, yeah, because right, of the paint. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there is a kind of sense around Arsenal that they are the mood is living week by week. Uh, this is a hugely long-term project, and it's a long-term project that is made more long-term by the fact that Emery will not have the financial capabilities of the managers around him. And yet, because of how football and how media is now, every defeat and every win seems to completely lilt the move one one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and it's all very well beating Chelsea at home, but if they then lose 3-1 at home to Manchester United, let's say, the other side of the argument will come out and say, well, you know, the defensive problems still remain, etc., etc., etc. So I think I think they have more to lose. I think Solskjaer has a free role at the FA Cup, which I'm not sure Emery does because, because of Wenger's success in the competition. I think a common theme with Arsenal has, has been that when they played well, you've you've sensed it in the first sort of five, ten minutes. When they when they won uh, in the derby against Spurs uh, before Christmas and then against Chelsea last weekend, you kind of got the sense that they were, they were sort of up for it. Uh, but when they don't turn up, then you get, you know, that drubbing they took at Anfield, the defeat against West Ham. I think there's, I think the equilibrium, the equilibrium there is quite unsteady. Um, and you suspect that if they're not quite at it, United could you know could could have some fun. United sounding like favourites here, James. Uh, well, I mean, 
when you win seven games in a row, mm. um, and I think uh, over and above the results, just the general mood um, at United, I think um, it's it's kind of understandable. You mentioned De Gea's mistake in the earlier meeting between these yeah. two sides, but of course he was the the protagonist. This 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 fixture in league terms mm. was the scene of probably his greatest performance. Uh, for Man United, no, when he made the what was it, 123 saves, something like that. Yeah. Until yeah. the one against Spurs, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's... I think this one's regarded as better because they were harder shots that he was yeah. stopping. They well, weren't he... all. And it was a him. proper, proper onslaught as well. Right. Yeah, that was to 2017. Of course, he made 14 saves, which is more mm. than than he did at Wembley. Hey, um, on the subject of Man United and people saying you want to watch this tonight, something special is about to happen. That was the case for you twenty was it twenty four years ago, Daniel? When some when your dad said, "Watch match of the day tonight." Yeah, it's uh, Eric Cantona, Kung Fu kicking Matthew Simmons, Crystal Palace fan Matthew Simmons. Although even that is in my new book, plug plug is uh, rumored that he was actually a QPR or a Fulham fan, really, who just got into the home end. Uh, yeah, I've got a book out on. Not just on that incident, although that is worthy in itself, but on how Manchester United changed from then onwards. 250 Days, Cantona's Kung Fu and the Making of Manchester United is out today, listener. Mm. Crikey. Do you have, does it feature uh, Sir Alex's phone call to Leeds? Uh, yeah, it does. It, it, that's been made slightly apocryphal, I Has think. It? But yes, it does feature in there. Okay. Um, it, it, it focuses on, very briefly, it focuses on... Uh, Eric Cantona's role in the class of 92 which is what I think has been overlooked Okay, Um, as a mentor yeah absolutely and as a role model as an idol and um, effectively he wasn't playing so he Alex Ferguson tempted him to stay by saying look take these players under your wing and you can create the next era of Manchester United and that's exactly what he did that's a fascinating story is there an audio book planned at all? there is there is an audio book planned as well uh, you can lay on too thick, I suppose, but yes, audiobook and hard copy and ebook. Brilliant. Pictures? Does it have pictures in it? It does not have pictures. It has one picture on the front cover. It has pictures in your mind when you read it. That's the, that's the best kind, I that's find. That's the beauty, yeah. Yeah, excellent. All right. Now, elsewhere, on Sunday in the FA Cup, Palas are taking on Spurs. Fascinating clash. I'm saying Crystal Palace, sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Crystal Palace are hosting Spurs. It's Sunday, Selhurst Park, 2 o'clock. And what promises to be, Tom, a fascinating clash between two of last weekend's most talked-about performers, Lorente and Spironi. One can't put them away, the other can't keep them out. What happens? It would be interesting to see. I mean, yeah, you really felt for Spironi. I mean, he hadn't played for so long. Only got into the team because both Palace's first and second-choice goalkeepers are injured. Mm. Um, and then, and know, they still are injured, are they? I believe so, yes. Yep. So he'll play. Because um, they've been trying to bring in someone on loan, but I don't think that has... Um, emergency loan. Uh, emergency loan. Is not, that yeah. has not been done yet. So it looks like it will be Julian Speroni between the sticks and a chance for him to redeem himself after right. that, that quite it, comical error to, to gift to Liverpool yeah. a goal at Anfield last weekend. But against that narrative, you've got the equally emotive story of a Spanish striker desperately trying to recapture to get his scoring boots back on. Fernando Lorente, who, who of course got a hat-trick in the last round for Spurs. And he's like, I imagine he's likely to start because Spurs have only gone and got more injuries now with Deli Alley out for six weeks. Yeah, precisely. Uh, maybe the opportunity to play himself into some form. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I mean, of the absurd transfers in the January transfer window and surprising one was Kevin Prince Boateng to, to Barcelona. Mm. Um, uh, he, didn't ev- he wasn't even on the list that, uh, that Barca supposedly had when they were drawing up for this sort of um, backup number nine. But Llorente was on it. Really? Uh, apparently, yes. So I think it's just a case, you know, he'd done such a good backing job backing up for Harry Kane at Spurs, you know. Yeah. Why not? Why not indeed? Spurs are having a very busy time of it, of course, with all their players injured because this very evening, Thursday, they take on Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge, 1-0 up in the, from the first leg of the Carabao Cup. Are looking to take on Man City in the final, who big weight off their mind managed to get through against mm. Burton Albion just, on Wednesday. Just edged it, just one nil. Yeah, just one nil on a dangerous pitch. Uh, so yeah, so for Spurs, Kane out, Dyer out, Sissoko, Lucas Moura potentially back. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yes, and Sissoko as well. I think he is over his groin injury. Um, okay, so those those would be two timely returns for Spurs. Right. Uh, would, would that be enough for them against a, a Palace side who really shook Liverpool? 
last weekend and have previously beaten Man City, or do you think Palace's attention is elsewhere? I think it probably is. I wonder if, if Spurs' attention should be elsewhere. It's a, there's a strange dichotomy with Spurs in that Pochettino constantly has to answer these questions about winning trophies and you know prioritising and him constantly saying look it's the Champions League and Premier League and then it's the rest uh, and getting criticised for that but actually they are still in four competitions and um, at some point something's going to have to give because they don't have a reserve team you know he's mm. basically going to have to pick the same team again because there's no one else so he can bring Oliver Skip into central midfield he could play Carl Walker-Peters at right back but other than that there's not really a lot else to go on um, and yeah I say they're playing Thursday they're playing Sunday and then they're going to have to face the prospect of of Dortmund in the Champions League without potentially without Ali and Kane. Right. Dortmund, who, as it happens, apparently now coming in for Crystal Palace's Wilfred Zahar, although with an eye to a potential move in the summer. Zahar, who's scored just two goals and has provided three assists so far this Premier League season. Is this a surprising move for you, were it to happen? Uh, well, I think... Um, they want to make him their record signing. I think Zaha uh, merits uh, a, a big move on the back of um, what he's done at Palace since leaving United, where it just didn't work out for him. I don't think that should ever be held against him because I think a lot of good players were made to look bad at Manchester United, not only on the Moyes, but Van Gaal and Mourinho. And you know, I think he certainly has been one of the best players, if not the best player, outside the top six. Fair enough. Spurs have won their last five meetings against Crystal Palace 1-0. Did you know that, Tom? I did not, James. The most recent one, the winner was scored by Juan Foyt. (sighs) And according to Andrew Rockle, hello, Andrew, they'll definitely go through this time. Why? Because of the white leaf curse. What is the white leaf curse? <laughs> well, it's funny. This is for Andrew Rockall. Uh, uh, Spurs will beat Crystal Palace in the fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend, but will go out in the next, he says. Oh, so there you go. So short-lived success. Uh, this is because of the white leaf curse. White leaf were kicked out of this season's FA Cup after beating Corinthian casuals in a first qualifying round replay. Why? Because they fielded an ineligible player. Taiwo Odutulu was banned, but re-registered under a false name, unbeknownst to Whiteleaf, who fielded him and then, you know, incurred the wrath, etc. Corinthian casuals were reinstated, but they themselves went out to St Albans, who went out to Taunton, who went out to Billericay, who went out to Chesterfield, who went out to Grimsby, who went out to Crystal Palace. And so it continues. Sorry about that, listeners. We'll move on. No, I enjoyed that thoroughly. Yeah. That was excellent, yeah. Okay. It was like a detective So you thriller. win against the team that carries the curse. But then you lose. But then you lose. Wow. You ever see that film, It Follows? No. Oh, you should. But from the title alone, I've got like it. Not really. In fact, not at all. It's about the 1959 FA Cup season, isn't it? No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) There was, there is a, there is a, um, a conspiracy theory about the 1959 FA Cup. Crowbar in Forest in again here. Well, we hear about that after this. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed paddy power because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game so everything is exciting. Plus you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbelower.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Okay, listener, on your behalf, I ask two questions to Daniel Story. One is, what was the uh, fix in the FA Cup 1959? It was not a fix. It was that Tooting and Mitcham United drew Nottingham Forest at home in the Cup that season. And I'm going on memory here, so apologies if I'm going to make any inaccuracies. But effectively, Nottingham Forest got the game called off because they were behind, I think, a pitch invasion. Uh, and they were behind, yes. And then a pitch invasion. The, well, the the game was then abandoned with not long left, with Forest mm. behind, and then they then had a complete replay, which Forest won three 0 And two Mitchell United fans even now yeah. are still very bitter about that. Well, and you fair would enough, be, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forest went on to win the cup that year. It should be said. All right. Uh, the other question, anyway, Daniel, for you is: What was it that Matthew Simmons said? 
to Eric Cantona, or says he said, to spark his flying intervention. So he said, he claims, uh, even in court, that he said, uh, off, off, it's an early bath for you, Mr Cantona. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was accused and the court uh, concluded that he said, uh, F you, F off, F off back to France, you mother F. Right. Well, so um, these days, that'll get you elected, wouldn't it? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, if it's FA Cup you're talking, can't say fairer than a bit of giant killing action. A eh, Tom Williams. Hey. Uh, now, yeah, there's all sorts of options for some real upsets this weekend. Oh, you've got Barnet, who are down in 16th place. Lowest team still in the competition. 16th place in the National League, who knocked out high-flying Sheffield United uh, in the third round. They're home to Brentford, which is going to provide a bit of confusion vis-a-vis the nicknames, eh? They're both called the Bees. Well, indeed, yeah. yes. Okay. And Barnet Stadium is the Hive Stadium. That's nice, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, they, they're looking to be just the fifth non-league side in the last 25 years to reach the fifth round. Interesting. Also, Newport, who are in League Two, but 13th in that division. They knocked out Leicester. They're heading to Tony Pulis's Middlesbrough. Tony, Tony Pulis derby. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, League One Gilliam, who knocked wow. out. <laughs> I feel like I missed out on a prize, on an email. Yeah. <laughs> he was asked which transporter bridge is better, uh, the Middlesbrough one or the, the Newport one, and he said he'd, he'd never actually been on the Middlesbrough one, so he, he couldn't tell, but he didn't want to come down on either side. He was very right. diplomatic. Okay. So, what kind of bridge are we talking about? Transporter bridge. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, which I imagine is just a bridge which has transport on it. I don't know. Bridge mm. fans may know more. Daniel's Ooh. frowning like he knows something about this, but I don't I, care. In really. my head, no. Can I ask yeah, about League enough, One yeah. Gillingham, yeah. who knocked out Cardiff? They're facing another Welsh side as they travel to Swansea City. Oldham, do you remember Oldham? The brilliant story of Pete Wilde, who was meant to be there in the stands having a day out, but instead had to take charge on the bench uh, and did so brilliantly. Like that Huddersfield guy. <laughs> so yeah, that, and who got really hung out to drive by Sky Sports? But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So okay, Pete Wilde. Then he so he took charge of Oldham, and they beat Fulham, and their award is a glamorous tie away at Doncaster. Uh, they're still looking for a full time replacement for whoever it was mm. Pete Wilde stood in for. Apparently, Paul Scholes is favourite to take that. Yeah, I heard that he was. I heard that he was. A, a, well, he was reportedly about to take over, but then he did an interview on the back of. The, some Salford City news that came out this week about Mr Beckham joining that group mm. uh, and he said he's not at the moment close to any job so that's kind of poor cold water on that OK, well, <clears throat> there's more talk about that situation in the uh, Totally Football League show which is currently out Hello Tom um, I've just looked up what a transporter bridge is OK and it's it's a bridge that, that can be adapted to allow um, waterborne traffic to pass by. Yeah. Oh, so does it swing? It swings, or it, or it, or it moves right. in some way. I, mean, I knew that, but da- I was poo pooed. Yeah, sorry, sorry, no, Daniel. That's no, my apparently, there are only no. ten transporter bridges in the world. Sorry, um, only a few dozen were ever built. Quite the rarity these days. Are mm. you telling me that there's only ten? There were only ever twelve built, and there's only ten. Only, only a few dozen were ever built. Right. Oh, a few dozen, but there's and only there, there ten. There are fewer than ten remain in use worldwide. So, it of says bridges here. that swing from side to side, or have a like Tower Bridge, for example, lifts up. Would that be a transport bridge? I don't know. I know. I don't think London Bridge qualifies. It, 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 you want one that swings? No, I think it's something about it moving, literally moving up. Oh, right. To let things underneath and then comes back down. I think okay. there's one in Warrington. Not so sure now, are you, Dave? <laughs> no, I, I suddenly feel very With your foolish now. <laughs> I'm buoyed anyway. by the fact that this will not make the edit. Oh, it will. <laughs> um, when I look down, what's to come? I'm pretty confident it will. I'm going uh, to. If it helps, I'm going to Shrewsbury Wolves. Yeah, well, I was coming on oh, to that. Sorry. No, no, but let's. That's exactly. You, you know, you will be heading off to New Meadow. Yes. To uh, see Shrewsbury take on Wolves um, Shropshire, Shropshire Star in July 2015 surveyed the townsfolk and 81% of people said that it was Shrewsbury not Shrewsbury good to know I'll take that Agreed. knowledge with me uh, the stadium which producer Ben reminded me before the show uh, is the first home of safe standing in hmm. uh, English football which I'd overlooked but yes I'm going to New Meadow on Saturday to in search of a cup upset. They're playing Wolves, who will presumably play a slightly weakened team as they did against Liverpool in the right. previous round. 
Okay, interesting. Will you be meeting with um, Shrew's manager Sam Ricketts? Uh, no, although it's a a, a nice story. Right. Is- so I went down to do. I'm trying to think. It was Newport. It was Wrexham Newport, and he was in charge of Wrexham at the time. But the mm. club told him not to show up for the mm. game because he'd been linked with the Shrewsbury job, and they were, I think, pretty upset with him. So yeah, Shrewsbury are the club that um, were part of that triangle of of clubs this summer, whereby everyone appointed everyone else's manager, and they all worked out incredibly badly and all end up losing their jobs very quickly mm. uh, Ipswich with Paul Hurst going to Ipswich from Sh- the Shrews but yeah they they will be up for it and I've never been to the ground before so I'm looking forward to it alright you shrews you lose indeed as the old wow. saying goes ok he's a former Wolves player of course yes he is indeed once sparked a pitch invasion at Molyneux it says here after he scored a rare goal I think it was his first of the season in an incredible 6-4 win over Rotherham which edged the Black Country Club closer to the League One title I love Wikipedia yeah uh, right anyway that, so upsets galore here's another one that might happen FC Wimbledon taking on West Ham at the Cherry Red Record Stadium you know some of the grounds that you get mm. here the, there's the Wham Stadium as well for, what's for the Wham Stadium Stanton Stanley really yeah it's called the Wham Stadium the Wham Stadium yeah so there you go that's grand, isn't it? After the sort of really chewy sweet. Lovely bar. I mean, they should really be called Club Tropicana, no? Hey. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, AFC Wimbledon currently bottom of League One, and they're looking for revenge against the Hammers, who knocked them out of the League Cup 3-1 back in August. I'm not sure if Arnaldovich will feature in this, but it does look like his uh, multi-million pound move to China is now off, at least until the summer. Yeah, because I don't think they can find a... A replacement, which uh, has inconvenienced West Ham quite uh, significantly. I think they wanted uh, Christoph Piontek, who's instead gone to replace Gonzalo Higuain at AC Milan. So, mm-hmm. sorry, Marco, your payday is going to have to wait. All right. Did you mention um, the the uh, Wham Stadium, home of Actions and Stanley? I did. Right. Well, they're, they're, that's going to be hosting an FA Cup fourth round tie as well as they take on Frank Lampard's Derby. Delicious. Who- Headline potential there with the Rams playing at the Wham Stadium. Oh, yeah, and Lamb, Frankie Lamb, Lamb. in charge. And Lamps. Mm. Wham, Full bam. disclosure: This was a game I was meant to be going to, but was thwarted by a Northern Rail weekend strike, which means it's impossible to get to the north of England by public transport on Saturday morning. Really? Indeed. I wonder what they're planning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Derby <laughs> have already qualified from ties at Old Trafford and St Mary's, so. Do they? Do you see them going through from this, Tom? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they've they've they're having a good season, Derby. They're a good cup team. Um, it's a sort of classic uh, unpleasant away tie against lower league opposition. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, it, it's so hard to call these ties because League One, League Two teams seem to use them to rotate players. It's very hard to know what sort of team you'll get out. But yeah, you suspect if Derby or anything anything like. Um, close to full strength and they shouldn't have too many problems. Do we not think that Accrington will have just studied the 70-minute transcript of Must There it is. The oh. <laughs> Accrington and Stanley are currently 14th in League One and have lost three of their last four games. Derby and now got the winningest man in FA Cup history in their ranks. Exactly what I was going to say. Oh, we yeah. might see Ashley Cole at the Wham Stadium uh, for, and the artist formerly known as the Crown Ground because yeah, he signed on a deal to the end of the season which, I mean, anyone who watched him in MLS will be surprised at this move. I suppose the fact that Lampard's there and it's kind of getting the band back together makes a lot of sense. But if I was Scott Malone, who is Derby's first choice left back and may now be worried for his place, given the reported wages that Cole's on, it seems an odd one to me. Did I mean, he swerve off the motorway. <laughs> yeah, in a re- but in a good way this time, I think. Mm. He uh, Cole won the FA Cup three times with Arsenal and four with Chelsea. Mm. Impressive. Hmm. Well, still to come today, we've got all sorts of big news from around the world. The latest on Neymar, the situation there, Scotland, Asian Cup. But a little bit more FA Cup after this as we touch on a couple of all Premier League affairs. Just the 1-0 win for Man City on Wednesday night away at Burton Albion. Next up for them, it's Burnley. Will Joe Hart get a game? Tom? Well, if you look at Burnley's form since they dropped him, probably not. Because no. since Joe Hart was dropped, Burnley have gone five games unbeaten, winning four, drawing one, losing none. I mean, it can't all be because they've dropped <laughs> Joe Hart, but it, it's quite a neat 
pattern. Right. Um, yeah, clearly went with Tom Heaton or Nick Pope between the sticks. They're they're a very different proposition. Um, and I mean, I, obviously, it's Joe Hart's ex club as well. So I don't know whether does that increase his chances of playing, decrease his chances well, of playing. That's what I was wondering. You know, the, the sentimental choice and for, for the cup run, maybe. But I think it was Nick. Did Nick Pope come in for the in the previous round? Because he's clearly above Hart in the hierarchy as well. Right, so yeah. I suspect. Joe Hart might have to reacquaint himself with the Etihad bench. I see. <laughs> right. City going deep then in these competitions, uh, going past Burton Albion on Wednesday while Liverpool off on the beach in Dubai, mm. their title rivals. Could that be significant? Only time will tell. Newcastle face Watford. Sigh. It's another cup fixture for poor Rafa Benitez. It's also another bad week for Rafa Benitez because reports suggest that he... He's out of contract in the summer anyway. The uh-huh. report suggests if, if he doesn't get any players in January, then he will leave in the summer, which seems completely reasonable, given that that's the last chance the club have to prove that they are prepared to back him. And um, they were linked with with Miguel Almiron from Atlanta United and are not prepared to meet the asking price for him. Oh, really? That's all? Which I think, in their defence, that that asking price does seem too high. Uh, and also they met with Gelson Martins, the Atletico Madrid winger this week, who has decided not to join them, but to join Monaco instead. So uh, they're missing out on both their top two targets and it just feels like this is only ending one way. Right. John Joe Shelby, Modiami both out. Watford... Potentially, I mean, they have had good runs before they got to the semi-finals three years ago, mm. but they may well have a little bit more skin in this particular game. They're, they're a really good. I, w- I went to Woking to watch them in the last round, and they're a really good FA Cup team to watch because they, firstly, they they do make a lot of changes, but second, the makeup of the squad is so cosmopolitan and so kind of. It looks like it's been thrown together, but it is formed from this incredible scouting network that Watford have set up, copying the Udinese model. Um, that yeah, they're actually a really exciting team to watch because you don't really know what you're going to get, and the players take a little while to get used to each other. But then it feels quite exciting. Danny, you wrote a piece about Watford today. Yeah, I'm also about transporter bridges. I think they're both. Yeah, they are. I, my argument is they're probably the best-run team in the Premier League on the basis that they've accepted their place in the hierarchy as 15th highest wage bill, 16th highest revenue, and yet have, have put into place this scouting model, which the Pozzo family did exactly the same at Udinese and brought through You know, Alexis Sanchez, Samihan Danovic, Christian Zapata, and so on and so on. And their aim is to buy low and sell high, which sounds very logical and very obvious, but there's not many teams that are as good as doing that as them. Very good. Everton, oh, big game for them, or big day uh, on Saturday. They're going to be away at the Den, the new Den, facing Millwall. That'll be Marcus Silva's 27th game in charge, significantly, because that means he'll be beating his record, no, with with Hull and, 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 and Watford. And news this week, this is good, that Millwall are close to reaching a deal with the council to stay at the Den, currently 19th in the championship. Bristol City host Bolton and, finally... The holders, Chelsea, take on Sheffield Wednesday. Now, they didn't get Higuain registered in time for Thursday night's clash with Spurs. Do you see him making his debut for Chelsea in this game, James? Well, he's ready. I mean, uh, he was sort of training in, in Argentina over the winter break. Yeah, He obviously played a little bit of the Super Cup, although he had, quote-unquote, flu because this deal was was going on. I think a lot of people are quite sceptical of Higuain in this country in much the same way they were of, of Zlatan before he put those four goals past England, including a 30-yard overhead kick um, for Sweden. People think he's on the decline. I just think in terms of context, really, he left the perfect environment that he had at Napoli under this manager, Maurizio Sadi. Juventus, people forget, he scored 32 goals in his first season there, um, including five in the Champions League, two in the semi-final. And last year, he was arguably the guy who basically shattered Maurizio Sarri's dreams because he was the guy who got the only goal at the San Paolo when Juventus played Napoli and he scored the goal, that last-minute winner in the Derby d'Italia, which um, you know, Napoli were watching that game before playing in Florence the following day and collapsed, lost 4-0 because basically that goal from Higuain when they came back from 2-1 down to win 3-2 in the final five minutes did it for them um, oh. so I think uh, and even this season you know uh, eight goals in 22 games for Milan but aside that uh, from October onwards had its midfield decimated so the creative players in that team um, who could basically help them play possession football high up the pitch which is where he's at his best not counter-attacking that all went 
and um, you know the fact that yeah, really, I think as we've seen with other Juventus players who've gone to Milan in the recent past, being on the rebound from the old lady is to the detriment of yeah, very good players' form like Bonucci, mm. like like Higuain. So I think um, it's still, I think it's a very good signing, and the risk is mitigated by the fact that it's a six-month loan. If they don't like what they see, they can send him back. Um, and um, I think it also mitigates the risk is the fact that he has this father-son relationship with, with the manager. I think it could be lift-off. The only strange thing, I, I think, is that Sarri is going from the Hazard false nine plan to the Higuain plan, which makes me wonder what Olivier Giroud has done wrong. Because if that was... if that It feels like Higuain has been the plan for a couple of months. If Chelsea are now going to change the way they play football because Higuain's going to be there, why have they not done the part solution to get everyone ready for that by playing Giroud and playing Hazard on the left. And then even if you then upgrade Giroud, at least it's not a complete change of system in January. At least you're ready for that way to play. It just seems a very odd way of doing it, that Giroud has gone from plan B to still plan B with not actually getting a chance to have Hazard bedding into the system. Because it's pretty obvious that this is done at least partly to try and placate Eden Hazard, who might fancy a summer move. It's just... Seems a bit strange. It is odd. I said this before, but I, I think Giroud is the perfect foil for Hazard, and I can't understand why he hasn't been used Hazard more. Hazard said that as well. Yeah, he said it himself. Yeah, I mean, him the best target man in the world yeah. in October, and yet he's barely played with him since. Mm. But he's not a Sarri player, is that right? Doesn't fit into the. No, I mean he, he said it after the, the Southampton game mm. that the the strikers that he's got just in terms of characteristics they don't correspond to the kind of player that he, the profile of player that he wants. Um, well, it's not so much just even leading the line. It's it's about combining. It's about coming short and and, and linking the play, which Higuain does very well, along with along with scoring goals. Sheffield Wednesday have confirmed Steve Bruce as their new manager. Luckily, though, for Sarri, he won't be starting until February. Mm. Tell us. Uh, he's not to go to February because he's watching the England cricket team in the West Indies, but it's for a nice reason because. Okay. His father passed away. Okay. Both his parents passed away in a very short space of time. And one of his father's one of his messages to his father is that they were going to go and watch the, the the tour in the West Indies. Right. So effectively, I don't know if it's quite as graphic as he's taking his father's ashes, but he's basically doing this as a, a, a tour to say, thank you, Dad, we said we'd do this, so I'm going to do it without you. Uh, so he's told Sheffield Wednesday he's not going to take over till February. Well, that certainly <laughs> puts things in a fresh perspective. Uh, it is their first meeting for 18 years what happened back then is that Wednesday won 1-0 with 51st minute penalty from Vim Yonk. Vim Yonk. Vim Yonk. Mm. Oh, excellent. All righty. Now, you know what? We've had some great questions from you, listener. Thanks for that. I will touch you on some of those and the week's other non-FA Cup news and various events abroad after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Hey, Danny, you were saying how great Wikipedia is. It's true because I've just gone into their transporter bridge section while you were in the middle of that last chat. Thanks. And it's I, my, my idea, my notion of what a transporter bridge is, is so far from the reality that, listen, I can only urge you to go to some kind of reasonably documented website that can put you right if you were living in some kind of transporter illusion as I was. Basically, they have a little bit of bridge that slides from one side to the other. It kind of shifts across from left to right, like a ferry, but on Mm. on cables and above the water. And, uh, yeah, no wonder there's so few of these in existence. That's utterly bizarre. They have one of those in Marseille. Do you know that, Tom? It says here. Um, Is it still there? Is is that not in the... um... Oh, the, is that in the, I think that's in the former historic bridges oh, section. Oh, right. Trying to catch up. Yeah, it was like destroyed yeah, in yeah, 1944, James. Yeah, was it? In the yeah. war? Yeah. <clears throat> um, it was a crossing of the uh, old port of Marseille, um, and the Germans blew it up um, during Cracky. the liberation of Marseille. 165 okay. metres, which is a decent length for a transporter bridge. Yeah, it took, took 400 kilograms of explosives to, to bring it down. Wow. <laughs> so the, anyway, now the first two examples that come up in, in, on Wiki are Newport and Middlesbrough, mm. Middlesbrough's gondola, as they call it, can carry 200 people, nine cars or six cars and one minibus. So there you go. Uh, and that's bigger than the Newport one. So if, if that in any way helps to resolve that question, that's that's the numbers there. Uh, Cherries has just spent £10 million on Chris Meppham out of Brentford. We, we talked about him the other day. Uh, Daniel, I know you've left Football 365, but there's still... 
an excellent resource and a fascinating read. And there's a great little piece there today on how this bit of spending takes Bournemouth's net spend since 2015. In Among Europe's top sides, James Horncastle, do you know where Bournemouth are in net spend since 2015, summer 2015? Uh, are they not like third or something like that? Well, OK, thanks. No, they're okay. obviously not third. <laughs> But they're eleventh. <laughs> Bournemouth eleventh. Wow. Thanks. I mean, Tom. that is incredible. But it's just—it's not as incredible as third. Yeah, okay, but you can't talk about net spend without mentioning Liverpool. So can I just mention that they're ahead of Liverpool? I suppose wow. the obvious killjoy reason is that they effectively are upgrading a Championship team, and therefore there's very little resale value in anyone they've got, and they may be preparing to tell. Callum Wilson for well, that would help a lot seventy-five that, million. But Mepham, they've been after for a year. Basically, they've wanted to sign him, so mm. the price has just kept going up and up and up, and eventually they've done it. Okay, Fulham want rid of Abdullah Kamara, who's been in more yes. trouble. So there was that ruck over the penalty a fortnight ago with Mitrovic. Then they had a fight apparently in the yoga session. What in the happened? Yoga session. In the yoga that. session. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then what Breathe happened deeply. on Monday? Uh, so there were initial reports that someone, a, a man, had been arrested at Fulham's training ground, um, and very little understandably was made of that. And then it turned out, and I think it was Sammy Mockbell at the Mail who got the exclusive that. Um, the man who was arrested at the training ground was was Kamara because he'd right. been banished from the ground for um, for the fight with Mitrovic. Turned up at the training ground, had a fight with I think we just told it was a member of training ground staff, right? And has been arrested on ABH charges, right? Okay, which is no, no yoga involved this time. Very pretty serious. Yeah, no, it certainly is. Hussein tweets in saying, "How important is off-field harmony in a squad? Have teams won trophies despite not getting on? Well, I mean, yeah." But showing him an Andy Cole, that was, that yeah. was the, uh, the famous Man United example. Lazio. More dramatically, Lazio, <laughs> where guns were involved, basically, mm. that half the team went round yeah. packing heat because nobody actually shot each other, I don't think, although people did die. No. They went parachuting. Yeah. Very different politics but, between people in that, in that group. Mm. Yeah. This was back in the 70s. Separate dressing rooms. Well, they partitioned the dressing room, didn't they? Brilliant. That's quite extra. I don't think, can we beat that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> right. If you'd like to hear more about the crazy and sometimes fatal antics of, of Lazio under Maestrelli back in the uh, early 70s. 1970s, uh, then we, we did a special Golazzo all about that, didn't we, James? We did. By yeah. all means, binge on those Golazzos. Right, because they're, they're timeless, Tom. Yeah. Timeless. This week's is all about the, the fresh and exciting breaking news out of Verona that they won the title, <laughs> uh, what, 30. 34 years ago? 34 years ago, yeah. 1985, yeah. Right, good. Uh, Against all odds. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. What about her, he says, question for James Horncastle, is he interested in reviving his musical career? Our drummer left and we need a new one. What do you think, James? Yeah, I mean, if he's got uh, some Zildjian cymbals, some DWs, okay. I'll be there. We've only got your word for it that you can actually drum, because I remember last time we, we said... Well, you wanted me to drum drumming? on a desk with... Some pencils. That's right. Yes, yeah. please. <laughs> Still need... turning that down? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that they've cleared out Jazz FM. There's, there's, no, yeah. there's no pianos, there's no other instruments it's, around it's true, here. Listener, just to provide a little bit of background there, we're recording in what was once Jazz FM, uh, but now they've moved, possibly because of us, I'm not sure, mm. and we're left in the hollow shell of their studios, yeah. existing on cans of tin peaches and stuff. Uh, it's very it, Brexit. We've stockpiled. Here's another question. Greg Stevenson says, how good is Frankie de Jong, actually, and how good can he be? All right, this is the big transfer news this Thursday that Frankie de Jong has signed from Ajax for Barcelona for a fee of, I think, 75 million plus 11 million euros in add-ons. Tom, you're nodding sagely. Have you seen a lot of Frankie de Jong? I mean, it looks like he could be very good. Um, He sort of came to um, attention, I suppose, of the wider world during that Ajax runs the Europa League final in 2017 and along with Matthias de Ligt is a, a symbol, if you like, of the, the rebirth of the Ajax Academy. Very talented, uh, multifaceted midfield player um, and obviously someone who, who Barcelona are you know, placing their faith in. And it's quite nice to see that old Ajax-Barcelona connection being reborn. But having said that, there's quite a lot of competition for places in that Barcelona midfield. Awful lot of players competing for, you know, for, for the three positions there. Yeah, that's Prince. Prince, yeah. Well, Prince, Prince did start for Barca in the Copa del Rey last night. How did that go for them? <laughs> he was subbed and they lost. Right. <laughs> yeah, they lost 2-0 at Sevilla in the first leg 
of their semi-final, I think was it, the Copa del Rey. Mm. I did like the the quote from Prince when he said they asked him what he was, final. Sorry, they asked him what he was going to bring to the club, and he said, "I'm not expecting to start, but I bring with me an experience." And I think this is Barcelona, and yeah. the one thing you are not bringing, I don't think, to that team is big club, big level, big competition experience. Yeah. If anything, completely the opposite, Kevin. But. Fine. Yeah, Kevin uh, Prince Boateng arriving from Sassuolo, where he'd been, of course, formerly of uh, Pompey. Uh, you've seen a fair bit of uh, De Jong, though, in the Champions League, James. Yeah, and their run to the knockout stages. I mean, why was everyone so hot for him? Well, I think it's just this this idea that you Ajax produce um, total footballers uh, who've got a universal kind of set of skills. And to see both him and De Ligt easily stepping into midfield, because Frankie De Jong can play as a, as a centre-back, um, and I think that versatility um, added to, to to the sort of understanding of positioning, range of passing, is one of the reasons why he clearly appeals to to Barcelona. Um, and as Tom said, that that heritage that these two clubs share, um, I think they've done very well um, to to sign him, given the the caliber of competition. But I do think that heritage uh, always gave them an advantage. It's easy for Barcelona to pitch to young Ajax players with everything that, you know, that Johan Cruyff link there. Um, but yeah, I just wonder what it means, again, if they see him as a midfielder or as a, as a defender, uh, what it means for um, like Rabiot, um, who was supposed to be going there. Um, that seems to have cooled a little bit. Um, and he wondered, like, have I maybe overplayed, or has my mum overplayed our hand here? <laughs> because, um, yeah, Dion can play that position if he wants. All right. Um, in France... Neymar's out injured, Tom. French Cup game against Strasbourg. He got absolutely kicked to pieces by uh, Zemzemi. And then he did Zemzemi with a lovely rainbow flick, but then he went off. Was the kicking connected with the injury? The injury itself came when he was trying to get away from a challenge. Mm. Uh, He sort of pushed the ball away with his right foot and then he sort of seemed to get the t- almost the toe of his right foot caught in the turf, rolled the ankle a little bit. Right. The big worry for him and for PSG is that it was that foot that he injured against Marseille last season, right. which brought his season to an end. Um, he tried to play on, as you said, a little rainbow flick and a shot that went wide. Oh, so that was before all of this? Yes. So he, he tried to play on like very briefly, um, but realised that he was in too much pain, hobbled off. And then you could see on the TV footage that just as he got to the corridor that leads down to the changing rooms at Parc des Princes, he sort of put his um, hand over his face and appeared to burst into tears. Um, Thomas Tuchel has said that, that he's worried, that the doctor's worried, that Neymar's worried. Um, so I'm guessing we'll, we'll hear more about that today. But yeah, potentially a good bit of news for Man United, yeah. PSG's Champions League opponents, particularly with... Um, Marco Verratti being a, a doubt for that game as well. Yeah. Um, and PSG looking more exposed in central midfield than ever. I mean, they don't have anyone who can play there. Adrian Rabiot has been frozen out because he won't sign a new contract. Lasana Diara is basically not even a member of the first team squad anymore, um, isn't playing at all. Um, they played with Julian Draxler and Danny Alves at centre mid uh, against Strasbourg last uh-huh. night. Of what? course, Marquinhos has been playing there um, in the Champions League and quite successfully, but he's, al- he's always had Verratti alongside him, a right. centre mid who knows what he's doing. Um, they've been linked with Idrissa Gay at Everton, Leandro Paredes at Zenit. Yeah, Paredes Alan is the one there. Napoli. I think, yeah, but there's they don't... been some talk this morning that the Paredes thing might have gone through. I haven't seen it made official, but that's something I think Chelsea were contesting for because he is, again, another player who is a disciple of, of Sadi. One of the ones that Chelsea wanted as the Fabregas replacement before mm. letting him go, wasn't he? Yeah. Paredes, so he's pretty much clear he's angling after a move. Mm. All right. They don't have much money to spend PSG because of FFP. They've got a budget of about €30 million, Euros, which doesn't go very far in the modern-day market, particularly not when you're looking for a, a Champions League-level holding midfielder. Absolutely. Uh, how much did Balotelli go for his move from Nice to Marseille this week? Yeah, quite a curious move. Um, it's only until the end of the season he's going to make about €4 million Euros plus bonuses off the back of it. And I think that very short contract duration is an expression of Marseille's concerns about his his fitness and his proclivity for off-pitch issues. Uh, he's not played since the 4th of December when right. he made his last appearance for Nice. He was frozen out completely by Patrick Vieira. Um, fitness issues have dogged him ever since he reported late for pre-season training. Uh, Marseille are playing Lille uh, Friday nights in mm-hmm. Liga, uh, which is quite a juicy 
fixture and they're sort of desperate to get their the show back on the road. They've been pretty desperate for Marseille and have fallen away from the Champions League places and, and Balotelli is the is the striker they've been trying to sign since last summer. They've been looking to sign a centre forward for the last eighteen months. It was it's been seen as the last piece in the jigsaw. They've got this fantastic array of midfielders and they've just been chasing a centre forward to come in and unplug that hole. So there's a lot of expectation on his shoulders. Right. Do you know how many goals he's scored this season? Zero no, goals. N- nil goals. Nil goals. Right. Nil but he boots. has been good in France, I would say. Previously, mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the reason why he hasn't been this season is because he thought he was going to Marseille in the summer, and that never happened. So he didn't do any kind of pre-season other than what he did why with a personal pre- trainer. Right. Um, and, and that's been it. He's had his issues with Vieira, where it's been in, out, and more recently, out. Um, I, I would love to think that uh, the 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 marriage of fan base and this character, if it all goes well, it could be amazing. Um, Sounds because... like every chat we've ever had about Balotelli. <laughs> club. I know, but I just think it's it, it it would it could be pyrotechnic for kind of okay good and bad reasons. But, Absolutely. Yeah. So Lille is the first opportunity to see if uh, Rudy Garcia gives him a run out. That's on Friday. Yes, chances are he won't start though because he's so short of fitness. So okay. it's probably going to be fifteen minutes at best. Cherry on renews. Tom, we've got a listener tweeting in here asking about reports that he's about to get fired by Monaco and replaced by the man he replaced barely three months ago, Leonardo Jardim. It's not been going terribly well for him of late. Uh, What's the situation there? Yes, things haven't really improved. Um, It looked briefly around the turn of the year that Monaco might be about to turn a corner. Um, The injured players uh, that Henri had to do without in the first half of the season, a lot of them are coming back to fitness now. He's been able to bring in some of the players that he asked for in the transfer window and there were some signs of life in a recent game against Marseille. But since then, they've drawn at home to Nice, lost 5-1 at home to Strasbourg in the league and then in midweek lost 3-1 at home to second-tier Mets um, in the French Cup. Uh, Mets, who are top of Ligue 2, rested some players. So it was another fine Mets. Another fine Mets, indeed. Um, Monaco did not rest any players. Henri basically picked the strongest team that he could um, and, and they took another pretty sound beating um, he was asked about his position after the game and for the first time the question is now being asked because in the first part of the season when Henri first came in there was this incredible injury glut mm. clearly the squad wasn't equipped for that uh, and even without that you know they'd had a disastrous transfer window last summer but the injury list is now getting shorter Monaco been able to bring players in and there are still no signs of things turning around and now we're seeing reports that Monaco might even be looking at, at sacking him. Right. Well, they've got a big game coming up this weekend against Dijon, who are just above them in the table, two points higher up. Yeah, Dijon just above uh, Monaco in the table and going into the game on the back of a 6-3 win at Saint-Étienne in the French Cup in which Naim Slitty, a Tunisian midfielder, scored three and created three, which is pretty rare. Um, so yeah, Dijon who will be in, in plenty of form and, and Monaco uh, who are really struggling and, and Henri now under under a bit of pressure. Excellent. Now, Italy, as you mentioned, James, there's a big Golazzo this week, which will tell you everything you need to know about what happened in Monday's games mm-hmm. when Genoa faced Milan in the middle of the afternoon and then Juve hosted Chievo. Uh, Piontek has now signed for Milan, which hadn't been confirmed, I think, when we were mm-hmm. recording, uh, which is big news for them as they go into this weekend's clash with Napoli, one of several really interesting games. Uh, you've got Milan, Napoli, Lazio hosting Juventus. And the game you're most excited about, which is? <laughs> Atalanta against Roma. Yes. Goals galore. Mm, lots of talented young Italians. Mm-hmm. Battle for the top four. Bergamo being a difficult place to go. Difficult. All spectacular games. Juve dropped points there. Mm. Inter got hammered there. So, yeah. Gasparini continues to do a magnificent job, champs. Right. In Scotland, Wednesday night, saw a full round of games in the Scottish Premiership. Celtic beats St Mirren 4-0. Oli Burke got a brace. Timothy Ware scored, so would that be his first goal for his new club? No, he scored in his debut. Did he? Yeah. All right. First league goal then. Mm. Okay. And Kilmana beat Rangers 2-1, featuring a goal from a player who'll be joining Rangers in the summer and moved past Stevie G's side into second place now. It's ever so tight there. The top four separated by only three points. Aberdeen level with Rangers. They were 3-0 winners at Hamilton, Tom. Andrew Slavin and the Totally Scottish Football Show gang are standing by for you to download them, tell you all about it, or other things, now. Tom, I bet you want to know what's happened in the Asian Cup, which you probably weren't that bothered about until you heard 
Sasha Gurianov's extraordinary preview on Monday. And now, having been bitten by the bug, what awaits as the quarterfinals roll on uh, t- today, for example? Daniel, yes. you've got Japan against the surprise packages Vietnam. Yes. And Iran-China. Yeah, they're the quarterfinal stage now. Vietnam are the surprise package, but also Qatar have, uh, are in the quarters, which is obviously kind of a big deal for them, given that, um, aside from everything else, the standard of their football team has been largely patronised ahead of the World Cup in 2022. Uh, they will lose to South Korea, though, probably. Really? Yeah, South Korea squeezed past Bahrain in extra time, which was a pretty limp performance, but the suspicion is that they will grow into the tournament and may well win it. OK, and Australia then taking on the hosts. Uh... Yeah, that's the that's the most evenly matched of the quarterfinals, Australia, because Australia lost to Jordan in the group stage and then mm. Jordan then lost to Vietnam in the knockout stages, so that was kind of a two upsets so Australia are the ones the kind of big team that are there for the taking I'm looking forward to a, uh, a kind of mid 90s Serie A throwback final with Lippi's China and Zaccaroni's United Arab Emirates now that would be amazing hmm. as for Kyrgyzstan we're all a little bit team Kyrg after yep. Sash gave them the big build up on Monday they went and lost 3-2 to Zaccaroni's uh, United Arab Emirates on Monday had chances an extra time as well did they they did Shame. Yeah, that penalty from Khalil. Just... <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go there. It's painful to even think about it. Um, all right. Hey, I'll tell you what, let's get some odds on some of the FA Cup action on the way this weekend. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's the FA Cup this weekend. Let's talk about the biggest tie of the round. It's Arsenal at home to Man United. What's going to happen here? Can I get a rewind, Ben? This was like a massive game again. Both teams come into it with plenty to be optimistic about and the odds are appropriately tight. In fact, we can barely split them and they're effectively the same price. Arsenal the favourites by the smallest of margins at 6-4, United at 8-5. And here's another reason to fancy the Gunners. We're offering money back as a free bet if United win. That's selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet £10, TNCs apply. Elsewhere, Crystal Palace are taking on Spurs. Spurs are ravaged by injuries at the moment. They'll have also played Chelsea not too long before this game. So, can Palace get the win? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, this one isn't priced as closely, but it isn't a million miles off. Palace, of course, like Tottenham, don't really have an out-and-out striker who's top class, but they are capable of beating the big boys. Just ask Man City. Hodgson's men are just 7-4 to four to add to their catalogue of shots this season. Tottenham are 7-5 to five to see them off. Or it's 23 to 10, there's a replay, which nobody wants. And let's talk about a giant killing treble, relatively speaking. Give me some odds, please, on Newport to beat Borough, Millwall to get the better of Everton, and Barnet to beat their fellow bees, Brentford. <laughs> I can tell you now, Ben, after your exploits in the last round of the FA Cup, where your seemingly mad accumulator came in at massive odds, our traders are quaking in their boots. We go 7 to 1 that Newport beat Borough, it's 4 to 1 that Millwall shock Everton. And 5-1 to one that Barnet do the cup magic again against Brentford. Put those three together and you get the rather ungainly sound in 239-1. to one, But that is massive gains. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Daniel, you're actually returning on Monday for more Totally Football Show. I am. And you can take us uh, through your trip to New Meadow. Indeed, I will do. To see the Shrows, as they're known. Um, and uh, we'll we'll have a big roundup on uh, on Monday, Tom, of all the FA Cup news. Look forward to it. I bet you do. What you what have you got planned for this weekend? A um, bit of FA Cup watching. Yes. Um, playing football again Sunday morning. Great. The mighty Redmond Rovers. Did you win last week? Frozen pitch, would you believe? Absolutely beautiful day. So the the team I play for, they play on one of four pitches, and it's the only one that's that's covered by sort of the shade of trees. Wow. And that shade meant that the ground couldn't thaw out. So a lovely day, bright blue sky, sunshine, match off. Ironic. Heartbreak. Right. And, of course, there's a risk of that, presumably, this weekend because it's gone awfully cold. Mm. Mm. James, I hope you'll be wrapped up warm somewhere this weekend, will you? Yeah. I like to keep warm, James. All right. Any me time scheduled? Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm not as meaty as I was okay. when, when I was last here. Good. Yeah. Good to hear. All right, Michael Cox and David Priest uh, also joining us on Monday for that edition of the Totally Football Show. Perhaps you will too 
listener. Who knows what else you might discover in the course of that chat. But in the meantime, after what's been an exceptionally educational edition of our podcast, it's many thanks to James, Tom and Daniel and you, listener, and we'll see you after the weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.